Welcome back to Civil Action. This is Brian Kabatek. I'm coming to you here from the uh, beautiful Sheraton Palace Hotel. It's not a Sheraton. It's the Palace Hotel. I believe it's a Sheraton. Nope. (laughs) Nope. Not a Sheraton. But we're at the CAOC convention here in San Francisco. This is Civil Action. It's 1906. No, it's not. No, someone please help Brian. (laughs) Wow. It is not 1906. It's 2019. What what month are we, Brian? February. <laughs> no, no. So okay. November. So civil action. We do this on a regular uh-huh. basis. Mostly what we do is review on a weekly basis four or five important cases that have come down from the California Court of Appeal, the California Supreme Court, the Ninth Circuit, the United States Supreme Court. And we analyze them and we call it 20 minutes in law school because in about 20, 25 minutes, we can analyze these cases that affect plaintiff's practice. But today we're deviating from that. And doing something fun. I'm here with Sean Karnickian. That's me. That's you. That's me. And Shant and I normally review the cases, but today we're doing something fun, which means that you don't enjoy reviewing cases? I do not. And we're here with Craig Peters. Say hello, Craig. Hi. How are you? That's great. That's that's, full of life, I can tell. (laughs) Hey, Craig is a phenomenal lawyer. He's got his own firm here in San Francisco, where we're coming from, apparently, the Marriott Palace Hotel. Nope, it's just the Palace Hotel in San Francisco. Okay. Okay, well, I'm done, so this is my last podcast. It's Craig's turn now. It's Craig's turn to talk. (laughs) Craig, can you tell us a little bit about your practice, about yourself? Sure. Um, I am um, part of a law firm called Altair Law. It started in February of last year, 2018. Um, It grew from myself to then two additional partners, Anjay Medina and Jeremy Cloyd, then grew again to include Kevin Morrison and Josh White. So there's now five partners in the firm. Um, How many lawyers do you have? We have one uh, associate. You have five partners point. and one lawyer. That's right. We're turning we're turning the law practice on on its head. Upside okay. down. Turn it upside down. I uh, never liked that pyramid system in the past, and didn't want to have it in the current. So, uh, we've got uh, four additional staff members, and we do personal injury cases. We don't do a lot of them. We try to be selective. We do typically catastrophic cases, wrongful death cases. Um, I've been asked to join some other attorneys that uh, do class action cases that they want to try. So I will join with them to try those cases. Um, And a large part of my own practice within the firm is partnering with other attorneys to try cases, which is what I like. Craig, you have an interesting background. Tell us a little bit about your background. Where did you grow up? Where did you go to school? That kind of stuff. Uh, I grew up here in Northern California, uh, just on the other side of the Golden Gate Bridge, and then like right on the other side of the Golden Gate Bridge. I mean, there's a parking lot there, I think. There and a beautiful park. Okay, yeah, mm-hmm. national park. How right was on that? The other side. <laughs> okay, it wasn't right on the other side. It was in San Rafael. Okay, uh, which is the uh, sort of the center of Marin County on the other side of the bridge. And then went away for school and thought I wanted to be a doctor. Where'd you go to school? UC San Diego. Uh, turns out I, at that time, had a proclivity to pass out at the side of blood. So I had a very astute career counselor who thought maybe really? that wasn't the great greatest... Uh, was that really the reason you changed your career path? Yeah, it really was. Wow. Uh, that and it just... Um, it's UC San Diego is a very competitive school for people who are pre-med. I think still mm-hmm. today they still produce is. more uh, med students than any other undergraduate college in the country. Heavy, heavy science program. Yeah. I think it is a heavy math program. Two things that um, if they were a requirement to become a lawyer... I'd be asking you if you have fry, if you'd like fries with your lunch. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, the interesting thing is they also have a very strong philosophy program that at the time was um, very into artificial intelligence. Um, so there was kind of a connection to their 
heavy science math uh, program there. Do you mean artificial intelligence like Shant? That kind of artificial That's intelligence? To like computers <laughs> being able to think on their own. Yeah. You were so close. Yeah. So machine close. learning. Yeah. Machine so, learning. so passing out at the side of blood may be a career blocker. Yeah. For medicine. Seems so, like at what it. point did you decide you want to become a lawyer? So, that took a while. Uh, first became a communications major, which I liked but didn't love. And then ultimately ended up taking a philosophy class and really loved it and just liked the whole uh, process of figuring out what arguments made sense and what didn't and the debating. And, and that was the point at which uh, I thought, actually, I thought I wanted to be a politician. And thought going to law school would be a good way to do that. Went to law school, decided pretty quickly that <clears throat> all of the things that are involved in running for for uh, office are just were not a good fit for me. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. First of all, where'd you go to law school? I went to University of San Francisco School of Law. Okay. So when you talk about all the things about being a politician or running for public office, I, personally, I think one of the big blockers today is you, you turn on the news. It doesn't matter. You turn on Fox if you've lost your mind, or you turn on <laughs> CNN or MSN or even the news, or you pick up a newspaper, or you you know just get basically um, any kind of news feed, and it, it seems to be these personal attacks on politicians on a regular basis that seem to would discourage people from running for public, decent people from running for public office. Yeah, I think, right, there's a real disincentive if you have um, a genuine interest in kind of getting the right thing done. It's sort of, you're discouraged really by the process. Um, and, it, you know, back when I was thinking about it, it was not nearly as bad as it is today. Um, and one of the things that worried me was the issue of raising money and then being beholden to people who had contributed to your campaign. And and I think in large part it too was just sort of the macro idea. I really, I liked the one-on-one of working with people individually. And so becoming a trial lawyer seemed like a much better fit for me. Okay. So I want to go back to politics in a minute, but first yeah. I want to ask you a little bit more about your career. Tell me about um, the first really big important case that was important to you that you handled as a lawyer. Um, the first big important case I handled was the first trial I had, which was when it, within the first 30 days of becoming uh, a lawyer, having a law job. Uh, it was a case that had bounced around the public defender's office for five years that uh, nobody wanted to try because it was a horrible case. It was a guy who was charged with possession of drugs, driving under the influence, um, hit and run, um, I think he also was driving on a suspended license. Anyhow, it was, it was not a good case. Uh, there was a reason why I had hung around for so long. And I was given the opportunity to try the case and thought, what the heck, this will be a great experience. And uh, I learned a ton from that case, things that I still hold with me today, things that I have taught to other lawyers about what I think is important to do in a case. How did the case turn out? Um, my guy was found guilty on three of five charges. Um, which actually people thought was a win. So, And the jury stayed out for two days deliberating, which my colleagues at the public defender's office also told me was a win. So That's good. And one of the interesting things was there was this sort of phantom witness that our client, this client that had been hanging around for five years, had been telling all the public defenders about, uh, who was kind of a homeless person. And everybody's like, eh, I'm not really sure that person exists. And after the case was over, we were sitting in the judge's chambers just chatting, the district attorney and myself and the judge, and he said, why didn't you bring that guy in? I said, well, I, w I did go to the parking lot where this happened and tried to find that guy. And I didn't see him. He's like, you didn't find him. He's there all the time. And I'm like, I'm sorry, Judge. You, the judge knew. You the, know him? The, He's the like, oh, yeah, witness. I know that guy. 
So again, uh, just further evidence, you, hiring investigators and having somebody else do some legwork is a nice idea, but at the end of the day, there really is nothing like doing your own legwork. Right. Um, what challenges did you face early in your career that kind of shaped the direction your career ultimately took? I think, um, you know, when you work as a public defender, um, you're sort of, you're outmanned, outgunned, outfunded, out everything. Um, and you get used to having sort of a whole, feeling like the whole world's against you. The judges don't like you. The sheriff's deputies don't like you. The police don't, don't like you. Oftentimes your own clients don't like you. Certainly the juries don't like you, at least initially. Um, and so I think kind of learning from that adversity and how to manage that has been super helpful for me. It's in my cases now, when I look at a bad case, it never seems that bad to me because by comparison, nobody goes to jail at the end of it. Right. Um, and usually it's, it is somebody who's catastrophically injured and really needs some help. So um, that has definitely shaped the way I see my practice now doing personal injury cases. Craig, how did you end up going from the public defender's office into the plaintiff's world? I got a call out of the blue from a law firm that one of my law school classmates and somebody who's now actually on the board of CAOC, um, her law firm called me out of the blue saying they were looking for somebody to just try cases and do civil work. Uh, it was for a firm that did uh, represent people who were suffering from mesothelioma from asbestos exposure. So I traveled all over the state for about two years just trying mesothelioma cases one after another. Great. So, wow. So in current times, in your firm and what you're doing right now, can you tell us, give us an example of a case that you feel particularly passionate about? Uh, boy, I feel passionate about all of them. Um, we are, our, our firm is representing almost all of the victims of the shooting at the UPS Petrero Hill facility here in San Francisco that happened back in 2017. Um, three people were uh, murdered. Um, Another eight were wounded. Was it a disgruntled employee? It was, um, who entered into the facility through the metal detectors and was never checked by the um, Allied Universal security personnel who were hired by UPS to do security at the facility. And that individual was armed? Correct. They walked through the metal. We have actually a video of him walking through the metal detector, setting it off, and the guard sitting there with his feet up uh, looking at his phone. Wow. Wow. That's something. Wow. Um, if you could go back in the time to meet the 21-year-old Craig Peters, what would you say to him? He's very pensive. He's thoughtful. I mean, he's thinking about his pensive. answer. It's like, a good unlike word. us, pensive. where we just rattle off wow. whatever, whatever cra- pops into our little tiny brain in yeah. any given moment. Yeah. Uh, the 21-year-old Craig. I would... Uh, <laughs> I would probably tell myself to um, get serious earlier. I think I was a little bit of a late bloomer in college, in part because of the going off the rails and not having that clear path to do pre-med. Um, so it felt like there might have been some lost time in there. But having said that, I don't, you know, all of our experiences go into who we are today. So right. I'm not sure. So basically, you don't like my question. That's okay. I, That's no, all right. It's, it's no, I'm not, my feelings aren't hurt. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. I'm okay with that. What I'm going to move back on. and tell the 21-year-old Brian? I'd, I'd tell the 21-year-old Brian, lose weight and start working out earlier. Huh. 
All right. It's the first thing that came into my mind. It isn't really probably yeah, what I tell. That's good. <laughs> I'd probably tell the 21-year-old Brian, you look really good right now, and it's not going to get better. Yeah. Right? Wow, that's a little depressing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's dark. <laughs> that's dark. That's dark. Um, Greg, I think you talked a little bit about you know, challenges you've had, but what's like your favorite failure, like a, a, something bad that has happened, but that now you look back on and you go, Oh, I learned a lot from that. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite failure. I tried a really difficult, uh, shaken baby case when I was a public defender. Um, it was termed a shaken baby case. I ended up doing a ton of work into that area of medicine, which turns out to actually not be an area of medicine at all. turns out kids get hurt, but there was really no such thing as shaken baby syndrome, which is a term that's used quite a bit or used, used to be used a lot in the medical industry. Um, so I worked really hard on that case uh, to defend my client. I work hard on all my cases, but in this particular case, I was sort of up against the medical industry and this sort of fiction that they had built up. And uh, we were not successful in the first trial. Having said that, we also didn't lose. We ended up with a hung jury. Um, So, and I was not terribly optimistic about my client's chances, in part not only because the medical community was so um, invested in this idea of shaken baby syndrome. They also had this incredible doctor, this pediatrician from UCSF, who was the star witness for the prosecution. She came off great, I thought. And then my client was a monolingual Spanish speaker um, who was not a U.S. citizen. So I thought I was worried that the combination of all that was going to end up going badly for him. So um, it taught me that you can take on anybody. Um, if you've got the facts and you've got the passion, ultimately, people, generally speaking, tend to see through right. the fog and they come to the right conclusion. So, Craig, let's um, let's have a little fun here for a couple minutes. We're going to ask you some fast-paced questions. Uh, right now, the way that it seems to trend is my questions are basically rudderless and meaningless, and shots have some direction. So, um, we're just going to fire them at you quickly and get your answer. Sean, sure. go ahead. Um, growing up, what did you want to do? What, what did you think you'd, you'd become when you grew up? No matter how real, unrealistic. Actually, At what age? I got to ask. Like this. really young. Really young. Like, you know, pre-10 years old. Yeah, when I was really little, I thought I wanted to be a politician. Even at that age? Yeah. Well. My, yeah. Well. He looks okay. like a politician. You, yeah. you have a good looks. So you look like you could be a politician. Yeah. Me, not so much. Uh, what's your favorite movie? My Cousin Vinny. Good. I taught an entire evidence class around that that movie. It's great. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah that's it's really, it's really fun. That's great. That movie wasn't out when I was in law school, by the way, in case either of you were wondering. Was that after you were in law school? It was still black and white without sound. Oh, you went to law school sound. a long time ago. Did yeah. they even have film back no, then? No, talkies. Silent movies. Yeah. yeah. Go talkies. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you had a superpower, what would, what would it be? Or what do you want it to be? I think it would be to fly. Fly on the wall? No, to fly. Oh, to fly. Yeah. Okay. Like R. Kelly? Herb. No, oh, no, no. <laughs> no, no R. Kelly. We're not that type no. of program here. No. No R. Kelly references. <laughs> no, no, no. Your turn, Ryan. Not to flee, to fly. No, I believe I can <laughs> yeah, fly. Right? That's pretty funny. To, to flee. If you could sing, and I'm not saying you can't, but if you could sing, what would you want to sing? What song would you want to sing? 
Wow. You know, if, I think if you can sing the Star Spangled Banner, you can sing just about anything. So I think that's what I'd want to be able to sing. Not that it's necessarily my favorite song, but I think it's an incredibly hard song to do well. That's pretty good. Um, if you could be anywhere in the world right now, where would it be? Probably Hong Kong because of what's going on there right now. What's your favorite vegetable? Oh my God. <laughs> Truly pointless questions. Eggplant. <laughs> how do you like to bake eggplant? I mean, how do you like it cooked? Uh, first of all, I like somebody else to cook it. Okay. I tend to screw it up. Um, I like it. Um, I like it when it's baked and then it's like mixed into something. Yeah. Like a tomato, like a yeah. big tomato. Oh. Oh. Mm. Oh. So no. good. Oh. So like good. a rat, a good ratatouille. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So speaking stuff. of, yep. what's the one food that you can't stand? Or there could be more than one, but what's like the worst one? You know, I really, I, I love food. There isn't a whole lot I don't like. I've had um, sea urchin uh, at a sushi place, and it has not been good. It's disgusting. Okay. I've also had it, and it's been good once. So I think it's one of those foods. That might be one of them that it's like hit or miss. Yeah. Might hate. Okay. I'm probably not going back to it. I've done that one. I think I'm done. Okay. Uh, what uh, are, what kind of car would you want if you could have any car in the world? Probably like a 67 Mustang convertible. Good choice. Something Good classic. Ch- Sean asked the last dangerous. question. Last question? <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, if you could have a billboard that you know that millions of people would see, what would you want it to say? Besides an advertisement for your law firm. <laughs> yeah. A message or something. Statement, message, an image. Wow. Wake up. I just feel like people are coasting these days and they think somehow it's all magically going to be okay and it's not going to be okay if people don't get engaged. And, and that's in so many different facets. It's, it's hard to, boy, what is the one message? I, I think. Hey, that's a good answer. Yeah. That's a good answer. So we've been sitting here with Craig Peters, um, great lawyer. Uh, I didn't even get a chance to mention your hard work with the Consumer Attorneys of California, where we're here at the convention in San Francisco this weekend. Uh, thank you for all the things you've done. Thank you for the things you've done for the profession and for the people, keeping access to justice open. We really appreciate you being here with us today. Uh, this is Brian Kabatek along with Sean Karnickian. That's me. And you can find us at kbklawyers.com. And thank you for tuning in. And we'd love to hear your feedback. Thank you so much, Craig, for joining us. Thank you guys for having me. Thanks for what you you do. 